What an awesome song to lead into the message today. Children are dismissed to junior church at this time. Children can head on out to junior church while I grab my Bible. You know, and what a happy song too, by the way. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Keeps me singing as I go. When Steve said that that's a peppy song that we should be excited about, I did double check to make sure my microphone was turned off before I sang. But uh, you're welcome anytime. Um, I'm hoping that I can sing in the new heavens and new earth. I'm pretty sure that God will give me that privilege. Anyways, you know, feels the, 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 the song said, I don't know if you noticed this, the song said, Feels my every longing, feels my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. Does Jesus meet your needs? You know, in John 10, 10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus is here to give us life and give us life abundantly. And really, that's the goal of this sermon series that I've been going through about knowing Jesus, that God gives us a relationship with Jesus, a relationship with God that is not fire insurance, I hope you know what I mean when I say fire insurance. Sometimes we treat our spiritual life simply like it's a get-out-of-hell-free card. (laughs) You know, a get-out-of-jail-free card, a get-out-of-hell-free card. But Jesus gives us life now. He gives us a relationship with God now, a fuller life now. And that's why I've been preaching on this, on this, uh, preaching about in this sermon series, about knowing Jesus now, having a relationship with Jesus now. I'm unfortunate, I'm, I get frustrated thinking that most across the church in the United States really is not about a relationship with Jesus. They're about glitz and glamour in the church maybe, um, you know, doing a bunch of uh, uh, peppy stuff and, and maybe knowing that we're saved from hell, but Jesus gives us salvation in this life now. We live life with Jesus now, with him now, in a relationship with him now. And I hope and pray that as we go through this sermon series, it's a time for you to reflect. Are you living life with Jesus now? And it is expressed in your commitment to the whole body of Christ. We're called to live the Christian life in community and not alone. And it's also expressed in certain spiritual disciplines and spiritual activities and daily devotions. You know, my job as a pastor is to tell you the truth. You know, if I don't preach the truth, I'm not doing my job as a pastor. The truth is not very popular today. I like what I heard Rabbi Zacharias once say, truth is exclusive. Meaning, you know, when the Bible's truth, that means the Bible's truth. You can't have the Bible's truth and then the Buddhists have their truth and the Hindus have their truth and all the religions of the world have different truths. No, truth in itself is exclusive. It's exclusive. The Bible is truth. Jesus said in John 17, your word is truth. If you have doubts about that, I'm glad to help you with that. Um, I like how I heard one person say last week, the facts don't care about your emotions. (laughs) Sometimes we have emotional issues, but facts are facts, and the truth is the truth. And my job as pastor is to tell you the truth. The truth isn't very popular today. But I do believe that the generations are yearning for the truth, including younger generations. They want the truth. They're in a society that doesn't give them any truth, doesn't challenge them, doesn't give them depth. It's not just a younger generation. I get tired of the younger generation getting, getting talked negative about and stuff. How do we get to this place? Every generation has their differences. 
about six or eight weeks ago, more like three months ago, actually, about three months ago, I ended up um, finding some quotes, some stats that go back to the 1700s, <laughs> where the parents and grandparents were talking about how bad this next generation was, was going to be. And that was the 1700s. I found quotes from the 1930s talking about how this next generation is absolutely, you know, horrible. They're terrible. And, of course, that was the generation that stormed the beaches at Normandy and became what we called the greatest generation. You know, I believe, you know, uh, this next generation can be as great as any generation, especially if we want to mentor them and help them out and quit just, you know, talking negative. But we need truth. And my job is to tell you the truth. Circling back, you know, um, it's not popular talking about the truth. You know, we live in what's called a postmodern society, postmodernism. And postmodernism came into, it came into being sometime maybe after World War I. It was fully, into, fully in our culture by 1968 for sure. And you can study it, look it up. But one thing about postmodernism is they don't trust authority. They don't trust authority. So, for example, in this day and age, if there's a conflict between the teacher and the student, most people take the student's word over the teacher's word. In this day and age, if there's a conflict between the police officer and, and, and somebody he's arrested, most people take the person arrested's word. My dad was a police officer before, he was born, before I was born, not before he was born, before I was born, and my dad said you would arrest somebody and then you would go to court and they would make you look like the criminal. <laughs> you know, it's a postmodern society. You don't trust the police officer anymore. You don't trust the teacher anymore. It's the same thing with the pastor. I can preach the truth, I can give you the truth, and later on you'll not be happy because I gave you the truth. But I'm just here to say, my job as pastor under God is to tell you the truth. In 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, uh, Paul was giving his dying words to Timothy. His dying words to Timothy. Paul was about to be martyred. He was about to be beheaded, which happened under Caesar Nero. And in his dying words to Timothy, he said, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means always be ready. He said reprove and rebuke and train with great patience and instruction. He used two words for correcting. He used the word re reprove, which is a soft correction. And then he used the word rebuke, which is a sharp correction. And then Paul told Timothy to encourage. And he told Timothy to instruct. And then Paul went on to say, for the time will come. When people no longer put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll gather teachers around them who will give them what their itching ears want to hear. I believe that time has come. It seems like that time was going on in the first century too. Paul went on to tell Timothy, but you, you Timothy, keep your head in all situations. Do the work of an evangelist. My job is to tell you the truth. And I believe the truth is, we are called to a relationship with Christ. A relationship with Christ where Jesus Christ is supreme. He is our Lord. He, he's our Lord and our Savior. We believe in him and we are committed to him. When we think about what to do, we think first about what does God call us to do. We get up in the morning, we say, Lord, what do you have me to do today? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done and it's a relationship with Christ. And I believe that's why the church is dying across the United States. It's mainly liberal churches that are dying, by the way. But churches are hurting. We're hurting for young families, too. I believe it's hurting because for the longest time, people, the, the relationship with Christ wasn't about a relationship. 
It was about Sundays. And then Monday, you're back to whatever you want to do. And Jesus is on the back burner. So this sermon series is about knowing Christ, having a relationship with Christ. And today I want to talk about prayer. Knowing Jesus through prayer. There are different types of prayer. One type of prayer is, um, is petitionary prayer. We give God our request. This is what I need help with today. And that's a type of prayer. Another type of prayer is praying to worship God. Worship God. And I actually, I believe every prayer should be about worshiping God too and surrender. Another type of prayer is just having a relationship with God. Talking to God as our best friend. And by the way, I believe the church falls very, very, very short in prayer as well. But it can encourage you. Repent and say, God, I haven't had the relationship with you that I'm called to have. I'm, I'm sorry. I ask for forgiveness. Starting today, I'm going to get up in the morning and pray. Starting today, I'm going to take time at lunchtime and pray. And in the evening, I'm going to pray all throughout the day as well. Shortly after Dallas Theological Seminary opened its doors. Dallas Theological Seminary, I, I, I don't know if you know that seminary by name, but a lot of our, our really wonderful writers and preachers of the last century came from Dallas. Chuck Swindoll came out of Dallas Theological Seminary. Andy Stanley came out of Dallas Theological Seminary. J. Vernon McGee, going back a long time, J. Vernon McGee came out of Dallas Theological Seminary. Tony Evans, David Jeremiah, Warren Wearsby, Charles C. Ryrie, and many others came out of Dallas. Dallas Theological Seminary. But shortly after they opened their doors, it was 1929, and in 1929, we know America was on an economic collapse, and they almost had to close down. And they almost had to close down. Dallas Theological Seminary, a very conservative seminary, a very theologically deep seminary. They, in, they, they really emphasized the academic and the original languages and theology and doctrine, but they were almost shut down. So, before their 1929 commencement day, the faculty, that would be the professors, gathered in the president's office to pray that God would provide. They formed a prayer circle, and when it was Harry Ironside's turn, he circled Psalm 50, verse 10. Psalm 50, verse 10 says, The Lord owns the cattle of a thousand hills. In Psalm 50, the Lord says, If I'm hungry, I don't need to ask you, for I own it all. And so Harry Ironside circled Psalm 50, verse 10, and he said, Lord, you own the cattle of a thousand hills. Please sell some of those cattle and give us the money. <laughs> Love it. The time lapse between our prayer request and God's answers is often longer than we would like, isn't it? But occasionally, God answers immediately. Occasionally, God answers immediately. While the faculty was praying... A $10,000 answer was delivered. While they were praying, the answer was delivered, $10,000. One version of the story attributes the gift to a Texas cattle rancher who had sold two carloads of cattle. Another version attributes it to a banker from Illinois. But one way or another, it was God who prompted the gift and answered the prayer. In a moment that is reminiscent of Peter in Acts 12... If you don't know that passage, wonderful passage, Acts 12, the, 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 the new disciples, are, the new disciples, not the apostles, are praying for Peter to be released from prison. While they are praying, Peter is released from prison, and Peter knocks on the door. And the servant girl, Rhoda, answers the door and says, Peter's at the door. And they said, no, it's not. <laughs> and, and, and she closed the door on Peter. Well, just like that, just like that, while they were praying... 
In Lewisbury Schaefer's office, the secretary knocks on the door. Dr. Lewisbury Schaefer, founder and president of Dallas Theological Seminary, answered the door, and she handed him the answer to the prayer, $10,000. Turning to his friend and colleague, Dr. Harry Ironside, President Schaefer said, Harry, God sold the cattle. Right then and there, they prayed to the Lord, and the Lord delivered. And because the Lord delivered, we've had a lot of really great Christian writing over the last hundred years. The Lord delivered. The Lord took care of them. But they were praying in submission to God. How is your prayer life? If you do not pray, you do not know Jesus. That's just logical. You cannot have a relationship with somebody that you do not spend time with, okay? I'm just saying it logically. I'm not saying you're damned to hell. I'm just saying you do not know Jesus. You do not have a relationship with somebody who you do not spend time with. We're called to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus describes the ways he wants us to come to him. And Jesus wants us to come to him with persistence. We're going to look at that from Luke 18 here in a few minutes. But first, we're going to look at at Matthew's gospel and Jesus teaching us the Lord's Prayer. You know, and again, as I said, we pray in different ways. So sometimes we are praying, God, I really, really need your help with this. Please help me with this this test I'm about to take. I like it how um, one Bible professor said it. He said, students will say, can you pray for help on this test? And he would say, did you study? And if they say yes, they'll say that I'll pray for you, (laughs) you know. Uh, We pray and we pray, Lord, I need your help. Another way is to pray for relationship with Christ. Let me tell you, I think too often we look at our prayer life as God is a genie in a bottle. And that's the wrong way to go about it. We pray to know Christ. And out of that depth of our relationship with Christ, we, we, we pray with different requests to our loving Father who wants to meet our needs. I encourage you to accompany prayer and scripture together. The Bible teaches us prayer, okay? We learn prayer through the word of God. And maybe you're reading a passage and and you're thinking and you pause. Maybe you're reading a chapter, John chapter 1, and you read something and you say, Lord, may that be true in in my life. You pray it right then and there as you're reading the scriptures. Maybe you're reading Psalm 42. As a deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul thirsts for God. You pause and you pray, Lord, may, may, give me a thirst for you. Maybe you read Psalm 121. I look unto the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And you pause right there and you worship the Lord. That's your prayer. You worship the Lord. These two spiritual disciplines of prayer and scriptures go hand in hand. So today I want to continue the series, Knowing Jesus in 2020. And I want to talk to you about knowing Jesus through prayer. Knowing Jesus through prayer. Jesus teaches us a meaningful order of prayer. That's a theme. Jesus teaches you, us, a meaningful order of prayer. Here's an application. Pray persistently. Pray persistently. So how do we pray and what do we pray for? Let's look at that first. How do we pray and what do we pray for? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That might be a prayer that you learned as a child. It might be a prayer that you taught your children as a child. And there's really nothing necessarily wrong with it. But as we grow up, we learn to pray in a deeper way, don't we? 
Actually, that's a very biblical prayer. I don't know if you ever noticed, if you're really teaching that to your children, if I should die before I wake, what? My life is in the hands of the Lord. I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's a very reverent prayer in that way. But as we grow up, maybe we learn, we learn deeper ways to pray, right? I was taught in preschool, God is great, God is good. God, we thank you for this food, amen. We might have learned prayers like that as we grew up. You know, there's a lot in a generation now that didn't grow up in the church at all. And they never even were taught to pray. I, I, I didn't have time to find this video clip. I thought of it late. But if you ever see the movie Gravity, Gravity, it's a movie with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney. And she's about to die in outer space. She's rescued and she lives and is happy ever after. George Clooney, well, we won't tell you. We won't spoil it. But anyways, and she's, she's all alone in outer space and she thinks, maybe I should pray. And she said, I don't know how. Her character in the movie said, I don't know how to pray. I don't know where to begin. And that's very insightful about our culture today. Well, the Bible, certainly the Holy Spirit using the Word of God, teaches us how to pray. And as we look at this in Matthew 6, 9 through 13, if you haven't turned there, please turn there. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, we see Jesus teach a meaningful order of prayer. He teaches us a pattern for prayer, a pattern. So let's read this passage, Matthew 6, 9 through 13. If you're not there, just keep turning there. Because we're going to park here. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Jesus says, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Many of you might have memorized that prayer uh, as children. Maybe you recited it every, every Sunday at church, depending where you grew up. A lot of translations out of doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In this passage, Jesus teaches us a meaningful order of prayer. This passage is also found in Luke 11. In Luke 11, Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. You know, actions speak louder than words. The disciples had hung around Jesus a lot. And the disciples hanging out with Jesus saw Jesus pray, and they also saw miracles. They saw Jesus pray in an intense relationship with God, and they also saw miracles. They saw Jesus praying often. They saw the miracles. In Luke 9, 28, they saw the transformation. Jesus was transformed into his holiness right before their eyes. The disciples saw Moses, and they saw Elijah right there before them. In Luke 9, 12, they saw Jesus feed 5,000 with a boy's lunch. Poor boy, we don't even know his name. In Luke 8, 40 and following, in Luke, 9, uh, Luke 8, 46 through 56, 49 through 56, they saw Jesus heal Jairus' daughter. And in Luke 8, 43, they saw Jesus heal a woman with an issue of blood simply because she touched his garment. In Luke 8, 22, they saw Jesus still the sea, showing he has authority over the ocean. He has authority over the weather and the climate and creation. In Luke 4, 31, they saw or at least heard about Jesus casting out demons in Capernaum. They had also seen Jesus pray a lot. The disciples saw Jesus pray. In Mark 1.35, after a busy day, the very next day when there were many things to do, Jesus put those other things on hold. He said no to those other things. And it says early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went to a quiet place to pray. 
There was plenty to do, of course, and Jesus went and retreated to prayer. So the disciples saw everything Jesus was doing and saw Jesus praying. They put two and two together, and they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Notice in verse 9 that Jesus says, pray then in this way. This is important. Jesus didn't say pray these very words. He said pray in this way. Pray in this order. Pray in this pattern. Let's look at the verses before it, though. Jesus started out teaching about prayer in verse 5. Notice in verse 7, Jesus said, Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. That is the context. Do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. There's nothing wrong with reciting prayers occasionally, and there's nothing wrong with long prayers, but Jesus wants us to have meaningful verbiage, meaningful words that really come from our heart. The Greek prayers of the day would pile up as many, as many titles of the deity addressed as possible. They would do as much as they could just to get the deity to respond. They would remind the deity, the gods, of all the things they did, all the sacrifices they offered. They would call the gods of every name they could think of to elicit a response. Jesus was saying, don't do that. Don't use meaningless repetition. The Greek prayers of the day, the pagan prayers of the day, would even make certain sounds and moanings just to get a response. They just wanted to get a response from the gods. And Jesus is saying, pray from your heart. Pray from your heart. Jesus doesn't condemn long prayers, but wants meaningful verbiage. We begin prayer with worship. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. That's worship. When we are praying as Jesus taught us to pray, we are not saying simply, Lord, your name is holy. We are saying, let your name be holy. Let your name be holy. We are asking God's name, God's character to be revered as holy. We are petitioning God for his character to be revered as holy. Of course, does that mean that we are revering his name and his character as holy? Hopefully we are when we ask that. The prayer starts with God. God is holy. In verse 10, we continue in worship. We are praying for God's kingdom to come. In verse 10, I see the focus on God. I notice notice a repeated personal pronoun, you or your, in the English. We're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't miss that. Do Do we realize that when we are saying that, we are submitting to God's kingdom? Your kingdom come, Lord. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Don't say that lightly. This means surrender. This means that we are willing and ready to surrender to God's kingdom, to repent of our, to surrender to God's kingdom, to repent of our sins. Now, it really bothers me because, you know, I know, I know people, uh, one person, an extended family member, who actually will, will give God credit for certain things while he's living in sin, living in a relationship with a woman who's not his wife. After he had an affair with her while she was married to another man. You're living in sin while you're giving credit to God. That's a major contradiction right there. This is submitting to and surrendering to God's will. Saying, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. That means I am willing and ready to surrender to the Lord's will. Ask yourself, are you ready to surrender to the Lord? Are you ready to repent 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done. This means that our prayers must not be about us, but about God. We are praying, and it's all about God. It's a vertical prayer. It's not horizontal. Now, certainly some of this prayer is about us, uh, forgiveness. But even forgiveness is about restoring our relationship with God. We're allowed to pray for our daily bread. We ask for deliverance from evil. That's still about a better relationship with God. We're told to pray, lead us not into temptation. That's still about our relationship with God. The prayer starts with worship by giving God credit for who he is. And the prayer starts with asking that his will be done. In this prayer, we are praying for, for God's kingdom to come about. We are praying for God's reign. When we say, your will be done on earth as it, as it is in heaven, we are praying for God's reign, God's reign to come about. We are submitting to his rulership. Meaningful prayer starts with worship. Meaningful prayer ascribes to God the attributes that he has, and we request that he maintains his holiness. Meaningful prayer asks for the Lord's will, not our own. Meaningful prayer asks for God's kingdom to come about. Meaningful prayer implies submission to his will and kingdom. Are we submitting to the Lord's will and the Lord's kingdom? Verse 11 shows the second category of meaningful prayer. Meaningful prayer includes requests for our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. This shows that it's okay to ask for our daily needs. Richard Foster wrote about this, and Richard Foster, in his book Celebration of Disciplines, says that this shows that we are allowed to make personal requests in our prayers. If we need a babysitter, pray about that. If you need help shoveling snow, pray about that. There's nothing wrong with praying for what you need. What you need, not what you want. Verse 12 shows us that a meaningful order of prayer includes a request for forgiveness. By the way, it also shows when we request forgiveness, we are willing to give forgiveness. You can't request what you are not willing to give. If you're going to request forgiveness, let go of the unforgiveness in your heart. In verse 13, Jesus shows that a meaningful order for prayer includes a request not to be led into temptation and deliverance from evil. God does not tempt. We see that in James 1.13. God does not tempt, but God will test us. God will test us. Richard Foster says, in praying this, we are saying, Lord, may there be nothing in me that will force you to put me to the test in order to reveal what is in my heart. You hear that? Lord, may there be nothing in me that will force you to put me to the test to in order to reveal what is in my heart. The Lord can also intervene so that Satan does not tempt us. So we are asking deliverance from evil. Jesus also instructs us to pray persistently. He teaches us a meaningful order of prayer and then tells us to pray persistently. Look at Luke 18, 1 through 8. Luke 18, 1 through 8. Now he, that's Jesus, was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Saying, Jesus is saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward the judge said to himself, now notice this is an unjust judge, and he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, 
Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is encouraging them to pray persistently. In Luke 18, we see a group of three parables together, just like we see in Luke 15. And in this case, Jesus is telling them, making a lesson from the lesser to the greater. In other words, if this unjust, wicked judge answers this persistent woman, how much more will God, who is just and loving and merciful and kind, answer you when you are persistent in your prayers? Let's make some applications. Are we always praying and not giving up? That's what Luke 18, 1 says to do. Always be praying and don't give up. Do we lose heart? Jesus told them this parable so they do not lose heart. Do we, do, do we get discouraged in our prayers? Jesus is sharing this parable in order to encourage them to keep praying. Don't give up. God honors persistence. However, we are to pray about spiritual things. Spiritual things. What I get bothered by is so often we put the physical over the spiritual. Knowing Jesus and having a relationship with him is more important than anything this world has to offer. Do we pray about all things? Are we persistently praying? Are we praying for God's kingdom and his rule? We must worship God who lovingly meets our needs and answers our prayers. Are we worshiping God who lovingly meets our needs and answers our prayers? We must pray to know Jesus. Pray to have a relationship with Jesus. I would encourage you to prayer journal. Sometimes our prayers seem intangible. Write out prayers to God or write out requests and answered prayer. Prayer journal. Try writing out. Make, it, make your relationship with God more tangible by prayer journaling. We must continually pray. Pray whenever need arises or whenever you want to thank God or whenever you want to worship God. Pray continually. We must have deeper, extended prayer lives and prayer times. We must pray scripture. Pray the Bible back to God. Remember how I talked about that in the beginning of this message. You might be reading the word of God, and you might want to pause and just worship God. Do that. You might be reading the word of God, reading the Bible, and you read, and you read something, and you want to pray, Lord, may that be true in me. Let the scriptures inform your prayer life. I began this sermon talking about Dallas Theological Seminary. Dr. Lewis Ferry Schaefer, who was the founder of Dallas, his, his relationship with prayer goes way back. Dr. Lewis Ferry Schaefer uh, was overseas meeting with someone regarding the seminary. The seminary hadn't even started yet. It hadn't even started. And Lewis Ferry Schaefer was awakened in the night, just overwhelmed with the needs of the seminary. So Dr. Lewis Ferry Schaefer got out of bed got on his knees to pray. His posture reflected his humility. He got on his knees to pray. And he said, Lord, if this isn't your will, I'll stop everything for the seminary. I'll stop it all. He goes back to sleep. The next morning, Dr. Lewis Berry Schaefer is at breakfast. And he's staying with a wealthy businessman. And while he's at breakfast, the businessman said, how are you going to provide for the library? For the seminary. A seminary needs a library, right? And Dr. Schaefer said, we haven't worked that out yet. Next thing the businessman said was, how are you, how are you going to provide for your salary? 
Dr. Schaefer said, I'm not going to take a salary. The businessman said, I'll provide for both of those. I'll provide for the library, and I'll pay for your salary too. But notice first, Dr. Schaefer was willing to submit to and surrender to the Lord. When he was awakened in the night, he got on his knees in prayer and said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know Jesus through prayer? Do you have a praying relationship with God? Do you have a submissive relationship with God? The first thing you need to do is make sure you're on praying ground. And that means make sure that you are not condoning or living in sin. Repent of anything you need to repent of. If you've never turned your life over to Jesus as Lord and Savior, turn it over to him now. If you're not living for Jesus, repent of that. That's a sin of omission. There's sins of omission and commission. Sins of commission are doing things that we're not supposed to do, like killing somebody or telling a lie. Hopefully you haven't killed anybody, but, uh, or at least today, um, or ever, unless you were in the military, and that's a whole other thing we can talk about. But um, the other thing is sins of omission. These are not doing things God calls you to do. Maybe someday the Lord pricks your heart to pay for somebody's lunch, and you refuse. That's a sin of omission. The first thing you need to do is repent. To make sure you're in a right relationship with God. Repent and make sure you're following Jesus. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, may we know you as Lord and Savior. May we live in a relationship with you. That, and out of the overflow of our relationship with you, we serve you and follow you and share the gospel with others. But Lord, may our prayer life reflect our relationship with you. Lord God, I pray that we at Bethel Friends, that we will know you through prayer. May we know you through prayer. Lord God, in John 15, 4, Jesus, you said that we need to be connected to the vine, and you are the vine. May we be connected to you through prayer and through your word. Lord God, this congregation right now, I'm sure that there's some who have never turned to you. May today be the day of salvation, where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as the only Savior, trust in you and commit to you. There might be others that came to know you as Lord and Savior years ago, but they're not living for you. May today be the day of repentance and turning back to you, rededicating their life to you. Lord God, there may be others here right now who has one foot in your kingdom, but they're still living for the world. May today be the day where they put both feet towards you. They follow you. They choose to follow you. And Lord God, may all of us every day Every day, get up and say, Lord, I'm going to firmly make the decision to live for you today. I'm going to live for you today. I'm going to become more like you today. I'm going to learn and do all that you say. I'm going to arrange my affairs around you. Lord God, we need your help. We need to be guided by the Holy Spirit. We ask for your help. Help us to pray persistently. Pray in worship. Pray in reverence. Help us to pray in submission to you. And then pray for daily needs, deliverance from evil, repentance of sin, and forgiving others. But help it all to be submission to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the closing hymn. If the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart with anything during the service today, and you want to come forward for prayer, the altars are always opened. You can come forward.